This talk was given at the North Carolina Zen Center. Our program is made possible with the support of our members and friends. If you'd like to make a donation or become a member, please visit us at www.nczencenter.org. We have found that one can aid their own understanding of a Dharma talk, or Taisho, if you sit in meditation beforehand, and we encourage you in this practice. friends online. We are joined this morning for Teisho by Koshin Chris Kane. And um, Koshin, I've got some biographical information here that if you want to add to, please feel free. But um, Koshin moved to Mount Baldy Zen Center, I believe in 1990 and was ordained in 1991. He trained in Mount Baldy as a monk from 91 to 99. And from 1999 to 2002, served as vice abbot there at Mount Baldy. In 2003, he moved to Vashon Island and became the founding teacher of the Puget Sound Zen Center, where he currently serves as abbot. So Koshin, we are very thankful for you joining us this morning. Thank you so it's much. So nice to be with you. When I left to Mount Baldy all those years ago, I'll show you a book that that inspired me, The Zen Life. Anybody seen this book? Yeah, we have it here in the library. Do you have it in the library? Yeah, it's a great old book. I think I got it from my grandfather who was a missionary in Thailand and really interested in Japan. Anyway, so if you've seen this book, you know, I mean, look, look at the cover there. Look at those monks. Don't they look cool? <laughs> All black and white pictures. I actually asked if I could, I'll show you a couple more pictures from that book. If I can, let's see if I can share my screen here. Yeah. All right, let's try this. Look yeah. at that. Does that work? Yes. Let's see if it'll work better this way. How about that? There you big. go. Yeah, so look at this guy. Again, I don't know if you can see him, but all black and white pictures, all very serene and cool. That's what I wanted to be. <laughs> oh, I went too far. Well, I'll just go ahead and I'll leave it here while I say, no, no. Okay, this is <laughs> the chances of this working out are slim. But we'll try anyway. All right, I'm going to stop sharing for a second and come back to it. This book, dog-eared, is uh, is the book that I found when I was at Mount Baldy. It's called Unsui. Anybody know this book? I've looked at it. Yeah, it's a great book. It's one of my favorite Zen books, uh, cartoon book uh, of life in the monastery by a guy who who was in the in the monastery in, in the 1930s, I think. Like 30s or 40s, and then uh, on his in his last year of his life, he he drew these pictures and there's text that goes with them. It's just fabulous, and you get a different vibe 
from this book. So everybody, this much more expressive. Look at this guy on Takahatsu, <laughs> chased by a dog. Here, here he's kind of acting out Kyogen's man in a tree, you know, and all, all kinds of uh, all kinds of sort of problems and expressions. <laughs> oh, I love this book. So that's the life that actually I found in the monastery. That's what I want to say. Uh, that, in fact, the life there was full of trouble and emotion. Uh, and I realized there that the Zen life involves working with those emotional aspects of my inner life. That in fact, in order to get to a mature, stable, quiet, um, I think you have to go through those cartoon emotions. So today, what I want to do is focus on uh, the aspects of life that, well, one aspect of life anyway, that we all experience. And that I, I dare say is one of the hardest ones to work with, and that's loss and sadness. And I'm going to ask the help of the Zen poets as I go. Uh, we have such a great, rich tradition of a poetic tradition in Zen. And uh, the, these poet, the poets have helped me through some things. I think really they're the best that our tradition has uh, as a way of helping us approach difficult emotions. Well, I got interested uh, in, I, I actually started reading Zen when I was traveling after I went to UNC Chapel Hill. And as I got more and more interested in, in Zen, even moving to the Zen Center at Mount Baldy, my parents were cool. They, they were good liberal Presbyterians and uh, open-minded. And uh, growing up, I was particularly close with my mother, uh, who was and is really a uh, kind of angel. I'd been at Mount Baldy for about a year when I decided to become a monk, put on the robes. And I called my parents just before Sashin, seven day, to tell them about that. And my mother completely lost it uh, on the phone, so angry uh, in a way that I'd never actually felt before in my life. This was taking it too far for her. Uh, so that was a real shock for me. It really rocked me. And I went straight into this seven-day sashin right on the tail of that, seven days of meditation and i couldn't uh, i was uh sad and and confused and i felt like i'd lost my mother so i told myself just drop it come back to it later but it didn't work 
So I made up a technique that I've used since at times, um, which I, I think of as weaving. So one set of, of thick threads are my sadness and confusion and, and loss. That's the warp. And the other, the weft running perpendicular, uh, was the calm, quiet, my breath. And I realized that they could coexist. And when I allowed that to happen, I got a little quieter. Uh, and little by little, quieter and quieter. So my sadness was still there, uh, that loss. And in a way, it felt like I was taking it with me. So after Sashin, I was, I felt I was able to approach my mother in what I thought was a relatively settled way, mature way, uh, one that recognized my loss and also her loss. An Shan is a great uh, poet, hermit poet who lived in the 8th century in China. His history, whether he existed or not, or just who he was is unknown, but uh, it seemed like he, the story is that he gave up lay life and devoted himself to practice in the mountains. Here's a poem from him. I heard sadness cannot be driven away. I didn't think it was true. So yesterday morning, I pushed it back. Today it returned and tangled me up. Months end, but sadness doesn't. Years are renewed, and so is sadness. Who would guess under my wisteria hat there's a sadness this old? So all this meditation, all this practice that he's doing uh, doesn't make him imperturbable at least not all the time. He thought maybe he would banish it with his meditative superpowers, but he realizes that it's it's right there under his hat. That sadness, in fact, is a part of life. And uh, for me, when he says sadness, a sadness this old, you know, he may be referring to the fact that he's had sadness for a long time, but I also think that sadness is as old as we are. It's as old as the human species is. We've got it built into the cycle of our lives. That great uh, 18th century master, Hakuin, was a great fan of Hanshan's. <clears throat> And uh, he was also, as you probably know, a fantastic artist, calligrapher. And one of my favorite calligraphies um, is uh, this one. See here. one here 
It's uh, enjoy lie the seeds of sorrow. In sorrow lie the seeds of joy. So that last word, that last uh, character at the bottom, the big one, that's joy. Big. Uh, I think that this meditative path does lead to more joy. But it's a joy that is not disconnected from sadness. It's one that knows that it's part of a cycle. So I think that in order to really rest in Zazen, um, I think we, we have to embody both these worlds of joy and of sorrow. Um, and uh, to embody all the seasons of of life and uh, to get the to get to the stillness of that my Zen life book, I think we have to go through the emotions of Unsui. Or maybe a better way to put it is we've got to, I think, embody them. Uh, and when we do that, I think we get we get larger in a sense, larger and more truly settled. When I took the in the grief that I felt at the loss of my mother, I became larger and more settled. The 12th century Tibetan monk uh, Machak Labron has says this is quoted by Pema Chodron. In other traditions, demons are expelled externally, but in my tradition, demons are accepted with compassion. So for me, when I, in a course of a retreat or in a daily sit, when we run into what feels like an old demon, uh, we have the chance to embrace it in our practice with compassion rather than expel it or run away from it. And when we do, the feeling is I have, the feeling I have is that we take it with us uh, as an associate, as a fellow traveler, a friend even. And when we reach the still waters that, that are within us, then the demons are facing the same way as we are, uh, gazing on those waters rather than having them, you know, chase us and uh, hide in the bushes and toss the occasional stone into that water. When we come back from that stillness, from that well, back into our lives, I think there's a better chance, especially if we've done this practice of taking... Um, taking sadness loss with us, I think there's a better chance that we actually appreciate difficult emotions when we come back up, uh, the losses and uh, the failures of our life. I think we have a better chance to see the whole messy, uh, our whole messy life in a, in a different light. Here's another poem. It's a haiku from Kobayashi Isa who's one of my favorite poets. Um, 
full moon. My ramshackle shack is what it is. You know, the, the full moon is the symbol of our true nature and and our deepest, quietest nature. And in that light, uh, my broken down shack just is what it is. And I can imagine Isa looking at his shack in the quiet glow of the moon and seeing a kind of beauty in it. There's a kind of beauty that he didn't see before. I think in the light of that full moon, the shack of our lives is what it is with all of its mistakes and failures and losses. There's this Japanese term which has meant more to me over the, you know, since I left Mount Baldy. It's used in art, sabi or sometimes wabi-sabi. And its uh, its roots are in Zen. It's a feeling that, that doesn't really have a name in English, but it's one that I think uh, I find helpful more and more. So I've heard it said that it's an appreciation of of the imperfect, the impermanent, and the incomplete. Like a beautiful weathered bonsai tree or, or an ir irregular tea bowl, maybe with a little crack in it. So it's, it's the ability to feel a heightened sense of beauty. Uh, of the beauty of existence, yours and and mine, others, because of its impermanence, because of its imperfection, not despite. And I think when we've more fully embodied sorrow and loss in our practice, I think those things can add to the richness of our of our lives. Here's a haiku from the great master Basho, great haiku master. Mountain Cuckoo, sing my grief notes into Sabi. So the cuckoo's sad plaintive song is uh, has an effect on, on his grief notes, helps transform them in uh, or his grief into into wabi, the subtle appreciation of loss of grief. Y yes, to get through it, but somehow also to embody it, to value it. Uh, the Zen poet Leonard Cohen has a song about sabi. Actually, I think lots of his songs have sabi in them. Uh, wabi sabi. Here's, uh, this is from a pretty well-known song of his called Anthem, which I think is a kind of anthem for him. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. It's the crack that allows for the light, the appreciation of imperfection of of impermanence of loss and th there's a custom in japan uh, i heard about which which is to fill the crack in a bowl 
uh, Thibault, with gold, that that crack is the most special part, the most important part of the bowl. So to treat it with respect, with love. Uh, that crack is our sadness, our loss, our the failures in our life. Here's another poem from Isa about the appreciation that comes, a special appreciation, I think, which comes from knowing that we are impermanent. That particular sorrow, I think, that hangs over us, that our lives will come to an end. Uh, in Japan, you know, the cherry blossom is the kind of quintessential representation of wabi, the beauty that is more beautiful because of it, because it's fleeting. Um, so here it is. What a strange thing to be alive under cherry blossoms. What a strange thing, Isa says, and there's an exclamation point in the poem after that in the translation. I think indicating almost an acclamation. Wow, what a strange and wonderful thing to be alive under this cloud of impermanence. Um, how, how sad and how wonderful. And also in this poem to me, how grateful, what a, what a, how grateful uh, to be alive even though like the cherry blossoms will will fade and pass away, not in particular because of that. And little by little, I think we change our connection to, to imperfection and to impermanence in our practice. And I think a f when we do, a feeling of gratitude is closer at hand. Uh, every once in a while, I talk to an old friend of mine from Mount Baldy days, um, yeah, I, I keep in touch with a few of them. And uh, this guy's a carpenter who's now retired. Uh, and he's a lay teacher, leads a, leads a center. And he and I talk about life and teaching once in a while. And when the subject of loss and grief came up before I was thinking about, uh, as I've been thinking about this uh, this topic recently, he reminded me of the story of his father's death. So his father was 13 years old uh, when he died, and his mother kind of fell apart. Um, so my my friend took a supporting, very kind of, it, it was his job to support his mother uh, and help her through it. And he, he carried on with his life and got a good degree. And then at 24, he was doing his first Zen Sashin, and in the middle of it, unexpectedly, ran into this this bubbling up of grief uh for his father's death and i guess because he's in session he opened toward it and the tears flowed he wept uh in the zendo this came as a surprise to him um and so did the feeling that came with it which was a feeling of gratitude for his father uh, he remembered the small moments with him. And um, that week, he says, his father became precious to him in a way that he had never been before. I think 
Yeah, and he says actually that he wouldn't have got. He feels he wouldn't have gotten to that feeling of gratitude um, without facing and more fully feeling and embodying that uh, that feeling of loss and grieving. Now he's a hospital chaplain, and uh, he brings to to that work um, a feeling for the connection between loss and love. So having gone through it, he can help others transform their grief. Well, here's the last uh, poem I've got for you, which is actually from a song, another Leonard Cohen song. Uh, it's it's kind of a deep cut, less well-known. It's called Heart With No Companion. It's a beautiful song. Is dedicated to those who are, are grieving uh, because of some loss. And I sing this for the captain whose ship has not been built, for the mother in confusion, her cradle still unfilled, for the heart with no companion, for the soul without a king, for the prima ballerina, who cannot dance to anything. And then he sings, I greet you from the other side of sorrow and despair with a love so vast and shattered, it will reach you everywhere. So in this song, I think he's, he's been through sorrow and despair. Uh, he's, He's made that journey and he's come through to the other side, uh, having rested with them, uh, having come to terms with them, having embodied them. And he reaches back with a love so vast and shattered that it reaches people everywhere. And I think it's able to reach you everywhere exactly because it's cracked and shattered. So I think we can, to the extent that we can rest with our imperfections, with our sorrows, with our losses, uh, I think we can approach other people's uh, imperfections, their sorrows. Uh, we can reach those parts of them. And finally, I think that's what spiritual practice is for. Uh, it reorients us in a way that is helpful to us and allows us to help others with more grace and, and compassion and love. And I think uh, working in our practice with our own relationship to sorrow and loss uh, is one way that we can help others. <laughs>